0: Three or four years ago, Michelle and I were invited to dinner in London by the the mother of a groom of a couple at whose wedding I just officiated. She was a wonderful woman. She'd been a very senior executive in advertising when there weren't many women who were in advertising, remarkably cultured. Her partner um, was a well-known British art historian, Uh, had been a big figure at Sotheby's, written lots of books. I'd had already several interesting conversations with him. And they were inviting a friend of theirs as well, who'd been a diplomat, uh, had worked for Prince Charles. I just thought, this is going to be one of those great evenings. This is one of these evenings where I can just go along, listen to the conversation, and then come back and dine out on it for weeks afterwards. Well, as I was saying to so-and-so, or as so-and-so was saying to me. I just thought that this was going to be be one of those evenings. Uh, And indeed, it did turn out to be one of those evenings but not quite for the reasons that I thought it was going to be. So when we got there, fairly early on in the conversation, the former diplomat and aide to Prince Charles said, So I'm an atheist. I thought, okay, well, I've had these conversations before. So I said yes. And he said, and you're a priest. And I went, Yes, that's, that's also right. He said, you know, he said, I'm really interested in some of the things that Jesus said. And maybe you can sort of help me explain, understand some of this. And so he came immediately uh, in a sort of very focused way to this passage from Mark and he said, so Jesus said, you have to sell everything you own and then come and follow me. He said, how do you sort of, how does that work in your life? He said, you seem to have done the second part of that, the come and follow me. But he said, you don't seem to have done the first part. And so, in this situation, you normally have a couple of stock answers lined up for these types of things. So I sort of waffled on about, well, you know, I put myself up as a public Christian to be affirmed, you know, I do all this stuff. And he went, yeah, but he said, can I just come back to what Jesus actually said? He said, sell all your stuff. And so, you know, we went through a couple of things. Eventually, I came up with an answer, either that or politeness. Um, which meant that he was vaguely satisfied. But the purpose of telling you this is not to show you that I can, um, as a lawyer, as much as a priest, wriggle out of any question (laughs) asked in the end, but actually the fact that what it really does is it illustrates very meaningfully what we read in Hebrews today. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, Piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts of intentions of the heart. And before him, God, no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render account. Those words of Jesus were that two-edged sword. Often, and rightfully, we turn to the Bible for comfort. We turn to the Bible for reassurance. We turn to the Bible to bolster and strengthen our faith. We turn to the Bible sometimes, less appropriately to justify ourselves, but we look in the Bible for a God of love. But what we also quite often do, very humanly, very understandably, is we skip over the difficult bits. And what Hebrews is telling us is that the word of God is comforting, but the word of God is also sharp. So to go back to this reading for the gospel reading from Mark and what Jesus tells the young man, it is a story with which we can associate. I certainly can associate. Here is a man who has done everything right. He has followed all of the rules. And there's an interesting use of the verb. We don't often read about Jesus loving people. But it says here, this is a young man who he hasn't met before. He said, Jesus loved him. So he recognized the goodness in the man. But he said, you have to do one more thing. Now, does this mean that we all have to go out and sell everything we have? and become, what, Franciscan friars? Become followers in that way? I don't think so. I think what Jesus is saying here, and what he's saying to the young man, is you are good. You have done everything right, and yet that is not quite enough. And the reason why it's not quite enough is because you are still comfortable. You have a buffer around you, which protects you from the reality of the world. And whether that reality is just sheer grinding poverty and a lack of food, whether that reality is oppression, whether it's from the Jewish authorities or from the Romans, whether that comfort is in the sense of a support group, of friends or family or whatever it is, what Jesus is saying is you are too comfortable to be able to really understand the Word of God. You are doing all the right things. You have the potential. But your wealth prevents the Word of God from getting inside you, from dividing soul from spirit, joint from marrow. And of course, it's not just wealth, there are many things which make us comfortable. A beautiful church may make us comfortable. A group of friends may make us comfortable. There are all sorts of things which buffer us from the reality that many people feel. And that's what we need to do. We need to move outside that comfort zone and whether that means giving things away or doing things, We have to figure that out. For many of us, I'll certainly, again, I'll speak for myself. For me, it is actually easier to give away money than it is to move out of other areas of my comfort zone. And yet, if that word of God is to truly come inside of us and do what it's meant to do, then we have to put ourselves in a discomfort zone. Now, there are ways of doing that, as you know, This comes up in every sermon. Over the past year, we have been embarked on sacred ground. We've gone into ourselves to try to discern what's in there. But now we have to talk about going out as well. And last week, I had a conversation with some of the folks from WIN, from uh, the Washington Interfaith Network, about what it was that we as a church could be doing. And one of them said to me, what do you want to do? And I said, I want you to take me somewhere, to put me in a place where I feel uncomfortable. Because however hard I work, however much I do, I don't feel discomfort. I'm, I'm competent. I'm not going to put it any further than that, but I'm competent. I don't feel that challenge. I need to be put somewhere where I'm challenged, where I don't understand the context, where it's not me. Said, so put me in that context, make me uncomfortable. And only then, only then can I even begin to vaguely discern how it is that other people might experience life, what it is that they may feel, and what it is that God is saying to me in that space to make me feel uncomfortable that that is what I think Jesus is saying. It is not about, in a sense, something as simple as selling the house. It's actually about venturing outside the comfortable buffers, the protections that we built around ourselves. That is, in a sense, the first part of what Hebrews is talking about. But the second part is the answer to this, is the good news, if you will. The author to Hebrews talks throughout the book about Jesus as a high priest. And what he says here is, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. To go outside our comfort zone, we need, in a sense, to acknowledge our weakness. But we have a God who welcomes that, who asks us to do that. And we have that opportunity now, here, all of us, to do that. Amen.